This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. Well, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Kyle has been telling me about you for a while. (laughs) Kyle's great. He is great. We love Kyle. So anyone that's listening, Kyle was on a podcast maybe like four or so months ago, but his episode is awesome. And you are his cousin, right? Distant, but yes. Okay. It's kind of funny how it all worked out, but yeah, we are really. Okay, cool. Well, um, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I've heard a little bit about your story and I'm excited to hear more. So why don't we go ahead and jump in? You can just start from the beginning. When I was just a little girl, I've kind of always been alone and felt alone and in many ways still feel alone. So I've gone through some things in my life that have really shaped the person I've I've become. Um, When I was younger, I, you know, I came from a large family. So, you know, feeling like my needs I didn't feel like they were always met. And so that was always difficult for me. And I kind of felt abandoned in many ways, which I know I was not. (laughs) My parents were actually great. They did the best they could. So I love them dearly. There was some sexual abuse in my family that really, really changed the person that I was. From that point on, I kind of stopped trusting the world, I guess you can say. I was just a young girl when that happened and I learned, you know, at that young age how to read people and people please and just keep myself safe. Those were good things and it's what I had to do to survive, but um, they really hurt me in a lot of ways too. So by the time I was 15, any attention, you know, was was good attention it didn't matter how good or bad it was so I found myself begging and pleading you know to be in people's lives friendships boyfriends and by the age of 15 I actually tried to commit suicide which obviously I did not do very good at and I I lied about it too you know my friend called 911 called my parents you know they came to the hospital and got me and it's like oh no that's that's not what I did. You know, I just, I didn't want people to see me and that I was hurting so bad. So I, I lied about it. And that was just kind of how things always were for the longest time. When I was, I think I want to say 19, you know, I started working at actually my current place of employment, but I started working. I met this guy who knew I shouldn't have married him and I did it anyway. (laughs) And I think that just kind of, you know, it's just part of that snowball effect. At 18, I was, um, no, sorry, 19, I was diagnosed with Bell's palsy. And so I've always dealt with that, still deal with it now. It's one of those things that most people heal from, but small amount of people don't ever heal from it. Was there a cause to it or did it just happen? My understanding is they don't know what causes it. Um, Typically, it happens after some sort of sickness, um, flu, something like that, which I had been sick previously. As far as like how I feel about myself, I've always struggled with my looks. 
Sorry. Well, I think you look beautiful. I know that, but just looking at you, you're stunning. Thanks. Oh. <laughs> Told myself I wasn't going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I always struggle with my looks, which I don't think I'm ugly. So um, I just, I know what I used to look like before and to not see that has always kind of defined me, which is really sad because I know that's not what my worth is based off of. So after I got married and diagnosed with this Bell's palsy, um, I had my first daughter and she was actually five weeks premature. So that was another struggle on top of struggles. And shortly after, it was not quite a year after I was in a an accident where I was left handicapped. I had some fingers amputated. So I had all of these things and I ended up losing custody of my daughter and going through a divorce. It was around this time, well, right after I got married, I had actually you know, made some mistakes of my own and I'll admit them, but um, because of those choices, I ended up getting disfellowshipped from the church. Were you active in the church prior to that? Um, I was pretty active for those last couple of years, you know, growing up, I was always, you know, I went because it was expected, you know, how it is so mm -hmm. in an LDS family, it's just kind of what it is. So I was active. We had talked about getting married in the temple and those types of things. But at the same time, I knew that that was not my future. So I ended up getting disfellowship. You know, I was very bitter for many, many years, over 20 years, in fact, for a long time. I ended up getting pregnant. Um, it was five, four or five years later, and I tell my baby daddy, I don't know if they say, says, okay, well, then here's your options. We can get married or you cannot see your son. And uh, we went to the courthouse and got married. <laughs> um, we were married for about eight years. I still didn't have much to do with the church, but in that eight years, um, we had another daughter. When I was pregnant with her, we moved to the neighborhood that I live in now. And in that time, you know, multiple people, you know, in the neighborhood would reach out and invite my kids to go do things, you know, ward parties, all, all of that type of stuff. And they were always really good with my kids to involve them and have them be a part of the community. You mentioned that you were bitter. Like you said that you were bitter towards the church. What was it that made you so bitter during that time? You know, I felt like even though I had made my choices and had done things I shouldn't have, I didn't think that it was right that I was disfellowshipped. Mm. So it just, I was very angry um, because I had known people who had not been disfellowshipped for doing worse things in my mind, you know? So I was, I didn't feel that it was right. I carried that for a long time and it wasn't until... I had moved into this neighborhood and they started to involve my kids that I slowly started to come around. So after I had had my daughter, I ended up, she was probably about one and a half too. I ended up getting divorced for a second time. <laughs> I was very heartbroken over this because I absolutely loved my husband, but I knew he didn't love me. It was so hard for me. I actually, in this time, I started dating another man, gave me all the attention in the world, 
you know, all the good things we like to hear. And we started drinking all the time. For the three years that I was with him, it was just always drinking. We didn't party. Like, we didn't go anywhere and, like, have, you know, big parties or anything. It was always just at the house. But I ended up turning into a full-blown alcoholic. Police were called to the house many times because he would just get so belligerent and drunk and just insane. I was sad and hurting and I didn't know how to end or leave or stop drinking any of it. I was just stuck in this place. He sends me a text message one day and moves out. (laughs) He's like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. And I was just like, oh, this is so good. But I had a friend who ended up moving in the next, pretty much the next day. And we actually spent the last nine years together, much of which I still drink every single day. Somehow I was still able to work and provide for my family and do all of those things. But every day was how do I, when do I, where do I get my next drink? That's always what it was about. But in this time, you know, the the ward in the neighborhood was still really good to involve my children. I kind of held on to that. But one thing I didn't mention yet is as a child, I always had a testimony of Christ. So I had gone to church with my mom one day. I was probably about eight years old. And all my siblings had gone home and she was a little upset about it. And I was begging her, just let me go home. You let everybody else. And she's finally just like, fine, just go home. But I knew she was upset, you know. Uh, She was playing a violin solo in sacrament that day. And as I had got to the door, there was like two doors. So I got to the first one, got at it, and got to the second door. And I just distinctly remember, you know, hearing, Casey, you need to turn around and go sit with your mom. And that's what I did. And so that one small thing has just kind of kept me, kept my testimony enough, probably carried me through many years. In fact, just over a year ago, my ex separated. We were never married. The one thing that was always really hard with that is because as my children got involved in the church and doing things, you know, I longed for, I wanted I wanted those things. I wanted to take the sacrament. And I just, I was never able, you know, it's like, well, you know, you guys live together, but you're not married. And I understood what that meant. And, and it, it was so hurtful for me. But just over a year ago, my ex moved out. And so I went and talked to my bishop and was like, okay, here I am. You know, I'm so ready for this. And he's like, okay, you can start taking sacrament next week. And that next week I did. And it was just like one of the best things I was able to experience. I think people forget just how significant sacrament can be. Yeah. I'm so grateful that I have that now. That's pretty awesome. And then over the last year, you know, I've done a lot of work, gone to church and have a calling now, which I've never had before and able to go to the temple for the first time and What was it like preparing to go to the temple and then going to the temple for the first time? It was really hard, to be honest, because I wasn't sure what to expect. I felt like a lot of pressure, I guess, because a lot of pressure for myself, because I know what's expected of me. You know, I have a whole lifetime worth of 
garbage, I felt like, that I guess you could say I still carry around with me sometimes. But it was um, a pretty neat experience because my father and brother were able to get endowed as well. And they have both passed. Actually, my brother committed suicide last year. And then my father had actually passed two years ago, three years ago. So to be able to do that and have them part of it was a pretty big blessing, actually. Something I didn't realize it then, but in my patriarchal blessing, it talks about me being the center of my family. And I always just consider that to be my siblings. But I think it meant so much more because now there's my father and then my brother, who's actually my adopted brother. But I, I am in the center of both of them. And had I not gone through, then would they have to? I don't know, you know? So I just feel like that kind of brought things together. In terms of the timeline, you went through the temple and they went through with you at the same time? Yes. Yeah, so my mother had prepared for their endowments to be ready. Um, so they could get them done the same time I did mine. Mm, okay, got it. So somebody else went through for them when you yeah, were going so through. They went through um, for my Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so amazing. And then somebody I worked with went through for my dad, which it was it was a pretty neat experience, especially with Kyle, just because there is that relationship there. And the way I met Kyle, which I didn't mention, I actually... Just about two years ago, I checked myself into an outpatient treatment so I could get sober. My idea was, okay, if I get sober, all these things are going to happen. My ex, I guess, he'll move out, all these other things. About the time I started getting sober is when I really started to have a desire to come back to church. So I started going to church on my own. My kids don't go now. How funny is that? They might come back. You never know. They might. So I just, I started going to church then and kind of just working to do those things, you know, to get back. And I did. But when I had checked into outpatient, Kyle was the intake. Mm. And so that's how I met him. And it was probably, I don't know, sometime this year he'd went somewhere and he posted something on Facebook. And there was a headstone, and on the headstone it said Brian Holt. And I was like, well, that's really weird. So Brian Holt is, you know, my mom's side of the family. So her mother was a Brian Holt. I'm like, that is like too big of a coincidence to have that last name in this area (laughs) for us to not be related. And so I started asking him about it, and we started looking, and that's how it was discovered that we're related. And so... Given his background, for him to go through for my brother was pretty amazing because some of the things that Kyle struggled with, um, my brother struggled with. And so to have him step in, it truly was a representation um, of my brother. So it was pretty cool. That is so cool. And anybody that's listening to this, Kyle's episode is seriously amazing. For more context on Kyle, listen to his episode. That is so special to be able to have him go through for your brother. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. So, um, yeah, I just, I think the world of Kyle too, so. Yeah, he's awesome. 
So I was going to ask you more about that because you had mentioned that you were struggling with alcoholism for years. And so I was going to ask you, what was that like to stop drinking after all that time? It was really hard, you know, because that was all I had known for so long. That was my life. I mean, every moment was based around that drink. I could get up and go to work. I would go to the liquor store after work and I would... By the time I left the parking lot, I had already had my first drink, you know, and it's it's sad to say that it was so very selfish of me to live that way, but I didn't know how else to live, you know, and it's really sad because I put so many lives at risk and I, and I'm actually so blessed and so grateful that nobody seriously got injured because I could have killed somebody. So that in itself is a miracle, but it, you know, it was hard because it required me to be gone. So I worked 12 hours days and three, four days a week. I was going to meetings after work. So I'm away from my family and I just, it was a struggle, but at the same time, it was the absolute best thing I've ever done too. So awesome. I love that. So tell us more about your life now. Like Tell us more about like you're coming back to church and how your life is today, being back in the church, having a calling in comparison to what was your life was like without the church and the gospel. Well, life is still difficult. (laughs) I won't lie. Um, Difficult in different ways, though. You know, it's just different because one, I don't have to rely on a substance to get me by. I don't quite know how to explain it. I think coming back to church. And having the gospel in my life has probably been one of the only things to carry me through. There have been many miracles just within my own home that people have never seen. When my ex moved out, there was probably the first seven months that I just really, really struggled. I don't know how my kids survived because I probably cooked five or six times in that time frame it was such an adjustment for me to to having all this help to having no help and that's why I say um, things are still difficult now because I'm still just a single parent trying to navigate (laughs) my kids are great they are good to help most of the time (laughs) they are still children though how old are your kids my oldest is she'll be 22 next week but she doesn't live here so I can't really count on her to you know help me out when I need because she's got her own life and there's my son who's 17 my daughter just turned 14 and then my youngest just turned seven so there's like this range which is such a good thing and it's so hard too because everybody has different ideas of how things need to be that's where the difficulty comes in but if it weren't for the range I I just I just don't know how I would do it my two older ones help a lot you know but coming back has really giving me some insight as to where I want to be and who I want to be. Navigating my life through some of these changes is, you know, it's going to take some time, but I know that I have people that I can go to if I need. And, you know, I can always hit my knees in prayer and it doesn't matter where I am. I, I find myself praying all the time, sometimes out of anger, sometimes happiness, sometimes I'm just completely lost but you know without that testimony of an eight-year-old girl I don't know that I ever would have made it through anyway so 
It's interesting. I had an experience when I was probably seven or eight where I was reading this children's Bible at my aunt's house and just couldn't stop reading it. And I remember having this really warm feeling inside. And I went to my mom and I said, mom, I have this warm feeling inside. And she said, that's the Holy Ghost. And I've never forgotten that because I've never felt the spirit so strong in a single moment. And it's, it's really interesting to see how a testimony at such a young age can be the foundation for your entire life of something that you anchor your story and your testimony to. And I can just picture you, you know, as a little girl and having that happen and and it's just a pretty simple incident, but you've tied your testimony to it for your entire life. It is. It's just the smallest, simplest things. I think it's the small, simple things. Um, the scripture actually just left my mind. But yeah, that great things come to pass. Yeah, and and that's just exactly what that is. So um, yeah, I I hold it very dear, and most of my family now is not active in the church and. People are going to be people and make the choices that they feel are best for them. But I can only hope that, you know, maybe they can see in me the things that has done for me. I just think how brave you are to, I mean, I imagine that you're probably, you know, you're going to church by yourself. You said your kids don't really go with you. And <laughs> that's a, that's not easy to get up and go by yourself. And I mean, it's really beautiful to see you doing this because you know and because you have a testimony and coming back by yourself is something that's takes a lot of bravery and but really it's like you're not you're not by yourself you're actually you have your heavenly father with you and I imagine that you know, in the beginning, you said you felt alone most of your life. I imagine that coming back to church kind of feels like coming back home. You know, it really does. I know what I did for the last 20 years hasn't worked for me. So why not actually give this a try? Because growing up, and I think most people can probably agree with this, but growing up, you know, in the church, we don't really try. It's just we do what we're expected to do. That's normal for us. But to actually go and put effort into something. I You choose it. You're choosing to yes. go. It's not just what your family's telling you to do. Yeah. Or what so you've it, always done. It is completely different because it is my choice. And, you know, it's, and even now I, I still have people tell me, well, why would you do this? Why? You know, I still get grief from people. Well, you gave me grief before for different reasons and now you give me grief for this and I get people like oh you need to do this you need to do that you need to read this letter or whatever no actually I don't mm -hmm. because um there's going to be opposition in everything and um one thing that I learned so when I was disfellowship I said I was very bitter and angry against the church this is what I've learned I wasn't bitter against the church I was bitter against a person one person made everything else bad because the truth is is the gospel itself is the perfect plan people are not people will fail us jesus had people fail him every single day 
I don't go for anybody. I go simply because it's what I know I should be doing. So, well, is there any final thoughts you have for us before we wrap up? Anything else you want to add? I just want anyone to know the gospel is is perfect. The gospel is not set up to fail us, but people are going to fail us every single day. People we love, people we care for, but don't let those people determine your worth. I love that so much. Well, Casey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and thank you so much for being so vulnerable and willing to share your story. You're welcome. I'm glad I was able to be on. Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, There's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.